0: May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed My father, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is God's word for God's people.
1: Thanks be to God. Well we are deep into our Lenten series. Can you believe that next Sunday is am I right? Is it Palm Sunday? Next Sunday. We've been walking a pilgrimage of trying to notice what is Jesus' way. If if you're walking in the ways of Jesus, what would what would that look like? Following in his footsteps, what where would those steps take you? How how would you be? What would you sound like? We've we've had some fun looking at a a number of qualities of that, and and each of these Sundays, or if you're working through uh, Adam Hamilton's book and the study with Rachel, and I each of those weeks we've been trying to to dig in to to see if we might uh, really grab hold of the inside of of what following in Jesus' footsteps would really be like for us, and, and we've challenged ourselves to, to try to walk in that way. Today we, we come to another sermon in which we are thinking about something uh, very distinctive to who Jesus is and how Jesus regards other people. And we're noticing that Jesus is is not just a person of love and compassion in the general, which he is, thanks be to God, because we have received that love and compassion. But in particular, Jesus extends that love and compassion to those who are poor, who are outcast, who are the marginalized of society, the um. You want to say that, don't you? Um, Just want to say it. And so we have brought this scripture this morning to uh, take a look at, to try to make some sense of, to to see if there's a, a message for us modern ears, as there was a message for first century ears. At the onset, I need to say, I understand this is uncomfortable. This parable is an uncomfortable story, um, particularly for those of us here in the very comfortable circumstances that we find ourselves. Because indeed, we are among the very blessed, the very rich in America and in the world I was startled to see that a a 19 or 2015 article in Forbes magazine lifted up America as having forty one point six percent of the world's wealth that's nearly half the world's wealth is among us in our country that's staggering if you think about it, it's staggering. In 2015, the next closest country was China, with 10.5% of the world's wealth. Alliance did a study on income inequality, and we were rated very, 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 very high with that here in America. And another organization did that, called the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, and they found that we were the the fourth country with the most income inequality in our society. How you make those studies is always questionable, but it's interesting to note that um, reputable agency had done that, and that we were just behind Turkey and Mexico and Chile for income inequality, boom, 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 us, yikes. So um, my dear friends, I'm inclined to try to be your pastor with this, And uh, not duck and dissemble about what we know about ourselves and what we think we know about Jesus and the gospel. We need to face it. We are well to do people. And I thank God for that. What a blessing that is! What a blessing. Now a lot of us have earned our well-to-doedness. We've worked hard. We've worked 60 to 80 hours weeks. We've worked for years and years, uh, perhaps sacrificially, to get ourselves where we are. And most of us recognize that um, a pat on the back is appropriate, as well as a thanks be to God for the gifts and graces that we have that we put to work. We also recognize that there's a good amount of good fortune and circumstance that's been a part of our well-being. I don't know if you can identify a teacher or a mentor or Perhaps a a supervisor in the workplace, perhaps a family member, somebody that helped steer you in the right way or woke you up to possibilities that you had, perhaps somebody that talked really sternly to you and called you to attention, to put to work what God had given you. I think in my own life of those moments and I recognize that the trajectory of my life might have been much different if some people early on in our time, Debbie and my time here in California, didn't pull me aside and give me a talking to or give me a helping hand. I thank God for those people that have stepped in for me. And I think we recognize that we also are the benefit of the great happenstance of our birth in this marvelous country with so many opportunities and resources. Regardless of where we give the credit in those three things for how it is we have become the people we have become with the resources that we have, when we kind of sit back and listen to Nancy read that scripture kind of hard for us to picture ourselves as the poor guy at the gate more likely than not we're the rich guy at the table in the linen in this story And to be responsible followers of Jesus, we need to take a a little bit of look at that. What does Jesus have in mind as he tells a parable like this? What do the gospel writers have in mind when they include that for later ears to hear? So I'm inviting you to walk along with me for a little bit. The story Well, it's just too close for comfort. We recognize that, don't we? Thank you, Jesus. Yet, you know what? It is too close for dismissal also. So, at the risk of some chafing and some bruising that comes from some hard squirming, in pews and at pulpit let's get in touch with our lord in the telling of this parable so the characters of the rich man and the poor man they are pretty starkly drawn it's kind of hard to kind of hard to miss out who we're talking about here the rich man well he is very well to do he's got this gorgeous large home he Dresses and robes, his life is full of linens. We're told he eats sumptuously. I eat pretty well, thanks, hon, but I don't know if we, would we say sumptuous? Well, compared, compared, perhaps we would, but for these guys I'm picturing, as Thanksgiving every day. They eat so well that they even have food falling off their table onto the floor. That Lazarus, outside the gate, he's heard about that. He's heard about their waste, even. And he says, if only I could eat their waste, what they throw away, what they kick to their dogs, ah, life would be good. Because Lazarus is on the outside of that wall full of sores hungry he's thankful that dogs show up and lick him that gives him some comfort imagine that actually well as parables go boom it jumps to the next scene. And lo and behold, both these guys are dead. And the poor guy has ended up in heaven. Uh, Father Abraham is at his side, tending to his needs, and the rich guy's in heaven. And he's thinking, this isn't quite right. What, what happened here? Wait a second why am I in hell? And though he did not relieve the poor man's suffering while he was alive, he thinks it's only right and fair that his suffering now should be relieved. He's bemoaning his fate and and feeling like this is not how I thought things were supposed to work out. I'm wondering if that's Jesus calling right now. So how many think, if that's Jesus, is he saying, Walt, shut up. <laughs> or are he saying, all right, Walt, preach it. All right. I hear more on that than the first. so I'll keep going. I'll keep going. So he says, Father Abraham, help me out here. This is not the way we were taught that things should work. I'm wealthy. I'm well to do. That is because I am a righteous person. I have been blessed because I am good. Why am I in hell? And if I am in hell, we need to fix this. Because there's been a terrible mistake so send somebody to help me out here and father Abraham goes sorry dude what can I say you had your chance then it strikes him okay well listen if if that's how it's going to be could you at least warn my, uh, my family so they don't make the same mistake I've made? And again, Abraham says, no, go with that. You know, they've got the prophets. You know, you just have to listen to Moses and you know what to do. why would sending somebody from the dead actually get them to listen? They wouldn't even listen to that, I bet. Well, typically, we good Protestant clergy, we take the parable to this point and then we're off and running because that's a great, um, comfortable place to preach this parable, this lesson, because we're preaching to a bunch of people who have paid attention to Jesus and I've paid some attention to Moses and the prophets but certainly have paid attention to somebody rising from the dead and it got our attention and and we moved along in our faith because of that but I had the realization that maybe Jesus didn't give this parable to promote his church that didn't happen for another 150 years. That maybe Jesus gave this parable for the straightforwardness of what this parable is about. Which is what do we do with the Amharetz around us? What do we do with them? So as Jesus tells the parable, the rich folk end up in hell. And don't you want to ask why? What's up with this, Jesus? Why this? And I am thinking, and forgive me if I am wrong, but I am thinking that it's not because they're wealthy. that this rich man ends up in hell. But it's because he didn't see Lazarus and do something about it. He had all the means to do something about it. Yet he didn't do anything about it. He was, would you say, selfish or, or stingy And then as in, in his conversation with Abraham, he, he realizes that one of those key lessons that Jesus teaches, he didn't, he didn't take the heart, that, that treating of another person the way you wanted to be treated. Because clearly now that he was in pain, he thought, yeah, that's a good rule. That's a good rule. Other people should treat me the way they want to be treated. Yes, I like that rule. He liked it when he was in hell. Wasn't such a big fan of it, apparently, when he could dispense the love and the caring. The passage, it it seems to me, communicates... Jesus' critique of folk who are so full of themselves that they have no room for others. The story gives the hearers then and the hearers today the opportunity to reconsider our circumstances. To rethink our perspective about the poor and the marginalized and the downtrodden. The widow, those that grieve, the disabled, the discarded, the overlooked. To think about how they too are children of God. They too are beloved. They too are part of the family. To give those who would hear an opportunity to change if necessary before it's too late. I'm thinking that's what Jesus was after. In this parable. A call for opportunity. An opportunity of hope. Of being different. Of being more than just about ourselves. Of doing those things that Jesus says we ought to do. Getting after it. And if you think about it, when you read your gospel, you're going to have a hard time avoiding stuff like this from Jesus. It is all over the place in our gospels. He had just an open heart, and he was a softie to people in need. He launched his ministry with that passage from Isaiah. We're told of the woman who he um, extended caring to, Wiggling her way into the Pharisees' dinner and anointing him with oil, crying over him, washing his feet with her tears. We're told about how Jesus violated the conventions of caring for people on the Sabbath. That he actually went and sought out the lepers instead of running from the lepers. He touched and healed lepers, the outcasts of his society. More than that, the crazy and heretical Samaritans he actually sought out and encountered. And to that woman at Jacob's well, he offered the gift of living water, which we seek to drink as well so that we too might be buoyed into new life. Give me some of that, she says. Let me have some of your love. The Good Samaritan, the sheep and the goats, the parable of the last judgment. Our Gospels are full of this kind of stuff. Jesus, he just cared for everybody. And that included the um, Harats. And so we're brought to attention this Sunday and are invited to think well, who are the um, Harats of our day, of our society? And if you've read Hillbilly Elegy or if you've paid attention to that point of view, you would say, well, there's a whole lot of people in our country who feel like they are on the short end of the stick, who feel downtrodden and abandoned and overlooked and they've turned to one thing or another and some of that has been opioids and they are finding themselves um, and others would think about refugees and immigration and people at our borders with their hands up and open asking for some kind of help and new possibility that they haven't had in their own place. And we would look at that and say, Ah, oh, perhaps they too are... um hearts how big is our heart if we want to walk in the steps of Jesus walk in his way we're encouraged to open our hearts to the poor and the downtrodden through some kind of acts of compassion and to help them get a leg up somehow. Just as we would want for ourselves if we were in their position. Over the years that I've been a minister, I've made it easier and easier to join the church. Back in the, the days when, gosh when I was her age. If you wanted to join the church that I pastored, you had to go through five lessons, five membership classes, and we would learn this and we would learn that and there'd be a whole bunch of stuff involved. And as time passed, it's now down to one conversation over lunch. Um, just helping to make people know that, okay, here's the kind of place you're, you've you fallen into. Here's what we're like. Um, God invites you to... Make your spiritual pilgrimage among us and and things we will learn together will be fun. I was surprised to learn that against that grain in in the Protestant and Methodist church stands Adam Hamilton, who has requirements for church membership. His church has grown to, what is it, over 12,000 people or something from a couple hundred. Uh, If you want to join his church, or if you want to join Christ's church that is manifested with his leadership in Kansas City, uh, you have to pledge to be involved in one significant ministry to the poor or the downtrodden every year. Or you can't join. He invites his people to make that real, to, to take this as something actually from their Lord. Every five years, you've got to go on a mission trip, and it's usually to Africa, somewhere in a whole other continent, so it's a whole new thing for people. They're not all there, but most of them are. Every five years, you've got to do that, if you have the wherewithal. If you don't have the wherewithal to pull that off, then bless you, he would say, I think. Requirements to act like Jesus if you want to be a follower of Jesus. It's a remarkable idea. Something for us to think about. As we think about it, we do a lot of stuff that is good for the downtrodden in our community. I have been very impressed. We've been here, what, eight months or so with you? I have not ever been at a church that every month has uh, encouraged its parishioners to have compassion in a particular program that is making a difference in people's lives and to give beyond their normal giving to make the church happen, to do second mile giving and make that ministry happen. Bless you. That is a marvelous, marvelous thing. And you take offerings during the year for UMCOR. You take offerings for Lutheran social services. You bring in stuff for manna, many mansions Easter baskets that the kids made. Many, many things are done and, and this is good. This is good. Is it, are we tapped out? Is, is this the extent of it? Well, that's our own personal question, isn't it? As we make process with this parable, with Jesus' word, to be thinking, well, how Have we made the effort? Have we gone the distance? What would Father Abraham have to say? How does it shake out? I know that if if any of us want to get further engaged, I know the Sautos will be very happy. And there's a number of people on that outreach and social concern committee who will be glad to use more of our energy or more of our money to do some good on behalf of Jesus. I want to end by uh, um, by sharing a story that happened this week. I'm usually pretty uh, pretty much a happy guy, most often of the time. Um, when not, my wife balls me out for not being happy, so <laughs> she keeps me. In. So I'm driving down the freeway, singing a song, having a good time, zipping along. Thankfully, no police are paying attention to speed limits. I'm, I'm coming along, and I'm, I'm coming up to a big truck on the right, going by. But as I'm going by, I'm noticing that it's, it's like a, can you picture, a flatbed truck, so it's not a pickup. It's bigger than a pickup, like a dumpster, but without that big dumpy thing in the back. So it's a flatbed, and it's got on it um, porta potties. Four four porta potties are on this truck. I take notice. Curious. I suppose they get around somewhere from one place to another. Do you ever see them on the freeway though, riding along? There they are. Somebody's got a business, moving the porta-potties. I come up to it, and I noticed they're called luxury flushes. <laughs> luxury flushes. I chuckle like you. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, no matter how you try, some things are just what they are, right? It's a Andy Gump. You call it a luxury flush. It's it's still just a porta potty. Sometimes you can't make things much more than what they are. But then the I don't know, the spirit just got a hold of me. And you said, You know, that's not true about people though, Chip. That's not true about people. People can change when they're loved, right? When people are accepted as uh, real people, accepted as children of God, accepted as beloved of God, they can find things about themselves and grow and become different become stronger, become a little less lost, become a little more healthy. And people can change when Jesus claims their heart and if they've been kind of cold and hard-hearted towards others. When Jesus gets in there, when Jesus has his way, that heart can be broken open and love can pour out and people can become more compassionate. I'm thinking of the um, hearts that are at our corners, at our borders. Children of God, so much less advantaged than you and I hoping for some kind of hand to help up, some kind of heart to extend a hug, and wondering if it might be among the followers of this Jesus of Nazareth that they might find it. I'm thinking to say to them, they've come to the right place.
0: Amen.